Bibles, please, to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter number 1. This is the 52nd year I've been preaching now, and as I look back over the years, I uh, naturally think about Easter services and preaching on the subject of the resurrection, and although I've preached from these verses on other occasions, I can't ever remember using these verses for the text of a message on Easter. Uh, but there's no reason why I shouldn't have. Revelation chapter number 1, verse number 18. This is Jesus as he's speaking to John, and I'll explain later. Jesus speaking to John. Remember at this point, Jesus has already been born, crucified, buried, has arisen from the grave, ascended back into heaven. Many years have passed by now, and here the Lord is revealing himself to John and revealing himself through John. And he says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. I began my message last week asking this question, are you concerned about the future? I hope so. And then I spoke to you about the possibilities of faith. Today, I want you to see why those possibilities exist. In other words, I want you to understand the power that makes these possibilities possible. And it's my prayer that these these truths from God's Word will raise your hopes up out of the depths of depression and despair and that you leave here today realizing there really is something worth living for. I want you to try to put yourself in John's shoes. You know, if there's ever one that needed, anyone that needed help, it was certainly John. Tradition says that at this point, all of the other apostles had been martyred. So here is John, the last one left. Tertullian says in his writings, he says that John had been placed in the cauldron of boiling oil as commanded by the emperor in order to kill him, and yet even in the boiling order the execution failed and John lived. So what do you do with a guy you can't kill in a big pot of oil? Well, they decided that, you know, if we can't kill him, we'll get rid of him, and they shipped him off to the isle called Patmos. You can read about that in the first part of this chapter. Here he is out on this lonely island. It's a barren, you know, rocky island out in the middle of the Mediterranean and uh, a place where, you know, they sent people that uh, just to get rid of them, sent them into exile. And so he is there all alone out on that island. Uh, when I say all alone, I mean just simply with other prisoners and things of that nature. And so whenever you look at the picture here, you find a man in a, what seems to be a hopeless situation. 
And yet in that hopeless situation, John found the help that he needed because it was there that God gave him the visions that we now call the book of Revelation. There, John saw Jesus. The first part of this chapter describes it. He did not see Jesus as Jesus was when He was here upon this earth, but rather He saw Him in His glorified state. And I I read the record and the appearance that is depicted here, and, you know, I see the words, and He says in verse 13 that He was in the midst of seven candlesticks, and one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle in His head, and His hairs were white like wool, and white as snow, and His eyes were as a flame of fire, and His feet like unto fine brass, as it, as if they burned in a furnace and his voice is the sound of many waters. You know, I, I can read that just like anybody else does and I try to understand it, but I can't even begin to comprehend the impact that that picture of the Lord Jesus Christ must have had upon John, especially at this desperate time in his life. It would have been thrilling. It would have been transforming. It would have been educational. It would have been excited because here he is thinking, you know, now remember, this is John the Apostle. This is the Apostle of love. This is a man who not only loved the Lord, but loved the Word of God, and a man who loved people, and spent his life devoted to ministering to people. So they put him out there where seemingly he has no audience. Seemingly he has no means whereby he can communicate with the known world. No way that his life can be of any use after this point. And here we are reading the book of Revelation. Isn't that amazing? What God can do when everything seems hopeless. You know, because of this fact, because of of the living Christ, and and that's that's the message He wanted John to get. He said, I'm the one that liveth, and He says, I was dead, and behold, I am alive, and notice what he says, I'm alive forevermore. That is, he's alive to die no more. Because we serve a risen Savior, it impacts our life in numerous ways. First of all, it enables us to live fearlessly. You know, sometimes living can be more difficult and dreadful than dying. A lot of people think, you know, that dying's the worst thing that could happen to them. Oh, no. There are things worse than death. And it's only natural that John is fearful in that situation. Now, here he is, a great man of God, and yet he, he's exiled out on that lonely island, suffering, no doubt, and, and, and hopeless. And a lot of times we find ourselves in situation that makes us fearful. We have problems that we, you know, seem to be impossible to solve. There seems to be no answer. And as Jesus came to John, notice in verse number 17, he says, fear not. That phrase is used over and over and over again throughout the Bible. Somebody counted them and said there's 365 times the Bible says fear not. I, I You know, I've never sat down and counted all of them, but I know this, the Lord has made it possible for us to live in this life Fearlessly. 
He is our peace in a time of need. And uh, boy, you, you think about John there and all of a sudden the Lord appearing to him in such a manner. And he said, he said, I, I, I fell down at his feet as though I was dead. I mean, what would you do? I, I mean, somebody says, boy, I'd like to see an angel, not me. My heart wouldn't tell you. I, I don't see no angels fluttering down on feathery white wings. I don't care about that at all. Really. And, and to see Jesus in this form suddenly appear and begin to speak in his voice as the sound of many waters, his feet like fire that's you know burning like in a furnace. And he begins to speak. And John just falls flat on his face down on the ground, and the Lord says, Fear not. And, 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 and the words of the Lord raised him up and lifted him out of that, out of that horrible pit of fear. Now, I realize that your problem's not the same as John's problem. But all of us face situations in our life that cause us to fear. You know, it might not be the fear of death. It might be the fear that, you know, that you're going to be destitute for the rest of your life. It might be the fear you're going to suffer. It might be the fear that you encounter when you see a loved one going through difficult things in their life. But sooner or later, all of us are confronted by situations that cause us to be fearful. And thank God, the same Jesus, because He's alive. He's not dead in a tomb somewhere. He is alive in the same Jesus that enabled John to live fearlessly can do the same for you. But more than that, more than that, the fact that He is alive, the fact that we serve a risen Savior, means that we can live forever. Notice, he says here in verse number 18, he says he has the keys to what? To death and to hell and, and of course, the grave. In other words, he's simply saying to John, look, you know, as, as, as a result of, of my conquering death, hell, and the grave, you're able to live. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, because I live, ye shall live also. You, you see, the Bible says he is our life. Think about that. These, these folks that believe you can be saved today and lose it tomorrow don't really understand a relationship with Christ. I mean, if you have it today and you lose it tomorrow, it wasn't eternal yesterday, right? And Christ is our life. And the moment that we receive Him, He comes in to reside within us. That's why He says, I give unto them eternal life. He's alive forevermore, right? Isn't that what He said? He, he liveth forevermore and He's dwelling within us. And, and you know, regardless of how far-fetched it seems to you or how foreign it might seem to your, you know, ideas of what religion is all about, I want you to know you can live forever. Now, you're going to exist somewhere forever regardless. All of us are. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to exist somewhere forever. But life, spiritual life, real life, is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and what? And the life. He's the life. We can live forever as a result of trusting the one who is alive. We can live fearlessly. We can live forever. But we can also live a life that is full of faith. 
You know, a lot of times I think on, you know, on Easter Sunday we think about the resurrection of Christ and, you know, it's a wonderful cause for celebration. But some way or another, we oftentimes lose sight of the practical value of the resurrection, you know. And the fact of the matter is it affects us deeply. That is, if we embrace that truth. Because the fact of the resurrection creates faith within us. Think about that. Just knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is alive, He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Just knowing that gives us cause for hope. And hope is nothing more than faith in that which is to come, you see. So we can live a life of faith. We don't have to depend upon reason. We don't have to depend upon the instruction from our neighbor. We don't have to depend upon the advice of others or the counsel of friends. We can depend upon the very Word of God. And let me tell you, God has proven Himself to be faithful and true. Oh yeah, which by the way just happens to be two names attached to the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes in Revelation chapter number 19 and John begins to describe the next coming of the Lord, when he comes, you know, to this earth, when he comes for his people, when he comes to establish his reign, John says, I saw him coming as you're riding on a white horse. His vesture was dipped in blood and it tells us that his name is faithful and true. You can depend Upon Him. You know, as Christians, we never have an excuse for living in fear. Because God has proven Himself. I don't know if you've ever read the story of Corey Ten Boom, but you owe it to yourself to do that if you haven't. And here's a, here's a poor woman, her and her family, especially her and her sister, that had gone through the, the Nazis and, you know, and the, being in the concentration camp and suffering so horribly and what have you as she did. And, and she said, after the fact, she said, there is no panic in heaven, only plans. Now I want you to think about it. No panic in heaven. Oh, you know, here we are wringing our hands and we're worried and we have sweat on our brow because, you know, we're, we're fearful. And it's faith that enables us to conquer our fears. Let me tell you, God doesn't make any mistakes. God never says, oops. You know, let that slip by. Uh, I didn't expect that. You see, God has everything under control. Let me give you the key to all of it. Here's the key to all of it. The key to all of it is that Jesus has the keys. Amen. And what He says he has the keys to death and hell jangling at his side. That, that is a symbol of control because keys are used to lock something or to loose something. They're used to enter or they're used to exit. And the fact that he has the keys tells us several things. Number one, he is the designated owner. He has the keys. He's the, look, he's the one that created the heavens and the earth. He is the one that owns all of this. If you purchase a car or a house, what do they do? They give you the keys. Why? Because it becomes your property. By virtue of creation and redemption, all of creation belongs to Christ. And He's going to claim His property someday. Amen? 
But not only is he's the designated owner, he's the divine authority. You know, it's one thing to be a property owner. It's another thing to be the king. Amen? And when he says, I have the key, he's saying, I have the authority. I'm the king. In fact, he's the only king, as we saw earlier. He's the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. So he's the designated owner, he's the divine authority, and he is the declared victor. You'll remember as you go back in your Bible and you read the story of Lucifer, who had absolutely no reason whatsoever to rebel against God, and yet he started a rebellion against God that's been going on since that day. It's a rebellion of between good and bad, uh, between what is right and what is wrong. Let me tell you, Christ has prevailed. Sometimes we keep thinking about, you know, the fact that someday, you know, Jesus is going to come, which is true, and He's going to set up His kingdom here upon this earth, which is true. But let me tell you, the final blow has already been delivered. He has already won the victory. As you historians could would know well, you know, many times in ancient days, whenever the Romans would go in and they would invade a place and they would go in and conquer a city, but they did not inhabit the city at that time. They conquered the city. It now became a part of the Roman Empire, but they went from that city to another city and went on about their business, carrying out their plan, but that becomes a part of their conquest. It becomes their city. And at any time they come back, and they establish the government that rules over it. That's what Jesus is going to do. When He died on the cross, when He said, it's finished, I want you to know the the head of the serpent was crushed at that moment. Satan was defeated, and then to prove it, Jesus got up out of the grave to prove that He is the victor. He has the keys and and one of these days, he's going to use those keys. If you read on in Revelation, he'll use those keys to lock Satan and all of his demons up in the bottomless pit. Amen? I mean, we'll be done with them to see them no more. He's going to lock them up. But also, he has the keys that will unlock the door of heaven. In fact, he is the door. But he has the keys to give you entrance into heaven. You see, regardless of how things appear, He is always in control. And because of that, we're able to live a life that is full of faith. We're able to live forever. We're able to live fearlessly, but there's something else. We're also enabled to live faithfully. Faithfully. His The Redeemer's resurrection results in healing for our past, help for our present, and hope for our prospect. As we look ahead, we can look to the future with a firm faith that is based upon the One who is faithful, the One who never fails, the One who has never lied, the One who has never been defeated. And you see, because of that, you and I, can live in victory here upon this earth. We can live a life that is faithful. Let me tell you, sometimes living the life that God requires can be really difficult. It's difficult because we're still in the flesh. Amen? 
I mean, we don't have our glorified body yet. It's difficult because we live among other people that are in the flesh. That can make life extremely difficult. Somebody said many years ago that the Christian life requires a life of miracles. And that's true. Because it is impossible for any of us to live according to the requirements that God has established. Whenever the Bible says, love your enemies, how, how do you do that? Well, we can't do that on our own. Whenever the Bible talks about us forgiving others, there are some offenses, you know, for which we feel like, I could never forgive them for what they did to me. So how do you do that? When God says forgive them and, and you feel like it's impossible. How do we live a life of faithfulness to God? Well, I'm glad you asked because I've got the answer. No, I don't. The Bible has the answer. The Bible tells us over in the book of Ephesians in chapter number 1, and here is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says in chapter 1 and verse number 19, he says, And what, and he's praying for them in this section, what he wants them to experience, what he wants them to have, and he says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which was wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. You see, this explains how we can be faithful because what He's telling us is, is that the same Spirit, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead that triumphed over Satan, over death, over hell, and the grave, that same Spirit resides within every child of God. You see, that's why when the Bible talks about us being, it uses the word quickened. That means to be made alive. And the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God does something in your life. He quickens you. He makes you alive. How does He do that? He does that by implanting His Spirit within you. And it's His Spirit, His eternal Spirit, that gives to you eternal life. The same Spirit that has the power to raise up Jesus from the dead. I love what John said back in, in the little epistle, 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. He said, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let that sink in. Who's, who is within you? Well, if you're a Christian, it's the Holy Spirit. He is within you. And John is saying to those that he's writing to, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's why we love to sing that old song, Victory in Jesus. Amen. I heard an old, old story. Amen. There's victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when I think about John and the situation that he was in at that point in his life, especially because he's an old man now. All of the other apostles are dead. They're gone. Jesus isn't here with him in a physical sense. There he is out there on that lonely island. 
and, 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 and knowing, knowing the heart of a preacher. Here is a man that wants to get out among the people and share the gospel with others. Here is a man that wants to see other people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there he is, out there on an island about seven and a half miles long and about six miles wide. It's, it's just a rocky, barren island. No, no trees out there, anything. I mean, it's a, it's a pile of nothing. And there he is. Seemingly without any hope. And at that very moment when everything seemed to be so hopeless, Jesus appeared. Now let me tell you, I'm not expecting Jesus. Now, certainly I expect Him to come one day, and it might be today. But I don't expect the Lord to come to me in some visual form and awaken me in the night and to comfort my fears and what have you. But by virtue of the fact that His Spirit is living within me, it accomplishes the same thing. Are you with me? I know what it's like to be in need and to be without any hope. I really do. I know what it's like to be in need and without any hope because that's where I found myself as a sinner before I trusted Christ as my Savior. I didn't have anything to fall back on. I hadn't been raised in church. I'd never read the Bible. I didn't, I didn't know anything about Christ whatsoever. But I realized that I had a desperate need in my life. I, I didn't want to be the person I was. I didn't know what standard we ought to measure ourselves by, but by any standard, I realized that I was falling far short of what I ought to be. You know, a lot of times we get the idea that these folks out there living, you know, living the good life, living it up, you know, free to just do whatever they want, that they're really happy. And that might seem that way for a while. But let me tell you, at the bottom of the cup of sin is the bitter dregs. And finally, you get down to them. And that's where I was. I'd come down to the bottom of the cup and it was bitter. I knew I needed help. But I didn't have any hope. I didn't have any hope because I had nothing to fall back on. I didn't have anything to look forward to. So what do you do? Well, you can't do anything. Because you don't know where to turn. You don't know where to go. And yet, in God's divine providence... Some way or another, God just arranged all of the pieces together to bring me to the place that I could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, it's not something I planned on. It's not like one day I said to my wife, well, I realize I've been a lousy husband, a lousy father. I know I need to change. I think I'll just receive Christ as my Savior and become a Christian. Let Him change me. I didn't know anything about that stuff. Just a simple invitation. Somebody invited me to church and I decided, well, it sure can't hurt. Hadn't tried that before. So I thought I'd go, and I started really listening. You know, it's amazing how you'll be willing to listen whenever you get to the point of desperation in your life. You know, as long as we think we've really got it all together and everything's going our way, a lot of times we, we don't have any time for God. We don't want to listen to God. But boy, whenever we hit rock bottom and there's no way to look but up, all of a sudden we're willing to listen. I said a while ago, 
So many times we think of Easter as a time of celebration, and it is. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ every Sunday, in fact. It ought to be a time of celebration, but look, it also should be given proper consideration. By that, I mean we need to see the practical value of the resurrection in our life. Because living in the light of His resurrection changes our lives. It gives us assurance in several different ways and gives us great encouragement because we have that blessed assurance. The same Spirit living in us is the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. Now, if that's true, and it is, then we can face any foe. We can conquer any challenge. We can overcome any obstacle. We can bear any burden. And we think about, you know, living up to the standard that God has set for us. We think about living that miracle every day that, you know, would be a life that's pleasing in God's sight. That's what the Holy Spirit enables us to do. Somebody says, well, preacher, I, I, I know and I've heard you say before, you know, we need to be a Christian. You know, and I really wouldn't mind being a Christian, but, you know, I, I, there's some things I love to do that I know wouldn't be, you know, according to what the Bible teaches. And I, I, I just can't change. I'm not asking you to change. I'm asking you to trust the Lord and let Him change you. He's the change agent. He's the one that makes the difference. He's the one that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That's what the Bible says, you see. And because He lives, we can, we can resist any temptation. Now, we don't. We cave in a lot of times, but we could. The power is there. We can resist any temptation. We can endure any trial we go through. Somebody says, well, I don't think I could ever go through that. Well, if you're a child of God, there's nothing you can't go through. He will enable you. You can bear any cross. You can overcome any loss. You can fulfill every duty, forgive every offense. You can love any person. And it's our union with Christ that makes the difference. It's what He does in us. Uh, we oftentimes sing that song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Aren't you glad? Do you care about your future? Are you concerned about it? Well, I hope so. And let me tell you how you can have this blessed assurance that as you face the future, that you can do so with fearless faith. Back in the 60s, uh, Gloria Gaither wrote a song, wrote that song, Because He Lives. It was at a tough time in their life because they were going through some really bad things in their family and in the church. Gloria was expecting uh, their third child at that time, and, and Bill was recovering from mono. And to top it all off, this is right at the time when the God is dead movement is really picking up steam. It's really growing, you know, and people are jumping on that bandwagon. God is dead. And so Gloria Gaither wrote the song, Because He Lives. 
Let, let, me, let me read to you in her own words what she said about that song. She said, it was New Year's Eve that I sat alone in the darkness of our living room, thinking about the world in our country and Bill's discouragement and the family problems and about our baby. Who in their right mind would bring a child into a world like this? I thought, the world is so evil. What will happen to this child? I can't quite explain what happened at that moment, but suddenly I felt released from it all. The panic that had begun to build in me was dispelled by God's reassuring presence and peace. And I knew I could have that baby and face the future with optimism and trust. The words to the song came easily after that. Because he lives. And many, many, you know, might have, maybe you've sung that song. And we often wonder why that one verse is inserted in there about the little baby. Well, that's the reason. This child can face tomorrow because he lives. You know, whenever you whenever you get as old as I am and you start thinking about, you know, what the world's going to be like and you think about your grandkids and your great-grandkids and what might happen to them, let me tell you something. The world, look, the world is what it is, and it's not going to change. In fact, the Bible says that it'll get worse. Amen? But the good news is God's still in control. While God allows all of that to happen, He does so maintaining control over everything. And one of the, what I'm trying to say to my grandkids and my great grandkids, you're in good hands. Amen? As long, look, as long as you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have anything to be fearful of. You don't have anything to worry about. Because God is in control. Christ has the keys. He is the key to your future. The key to your happiness. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg you, please, whatever you do, don't walk out that door. Don't leave here without trusting Him. As I said earlier, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect when I went to church. I had no idea. Just a few weeks later, having heard the gospel, well, nobody had to tell me I was a sinner. I knew that. But whenever I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I heard about the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, when I heard that God loved us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, when I heard that, my heart just melted. How could God love me, sinful me, and He didn't just say it. He proved it when Jesus died on the cross. And if you doubt it, you look back to that empty tomb. He is alive. Amen? And He has the keys to your future. Will you trust Him this morning? You say, well, preacher, I don't know what to do. I'm telling you, just trust Him. You say, well, I don't know how to pray. Who said anything about praying? I said, trust Him. Just trust Him. For by faith are you saved, the Bible says. 
I think back often on that day that I trusted Christ. I've got to tell you, my memory's not good enough to remember exactly what I said. I don't remember whether I was praying out loud or silently. I don't remember. I just remember I got on my knees and there, the best I knew how to do, I put my trust in Jesus Christ to save my soul. And this is no credit to me when I make this next statement. It's all glory to Him. I've never doubted my salvation one second since that day. Why would I doubt my salvation when I put my trust in Jesus Christ? I trust Him to do what He said He would do. He said, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And He said, I'll give them eternal life. And I claimed it. And you can too, if you'll trust Him. Let's stand together, Tim. If you'll come and the musicians and we sing together, we encourage you to put your trust in Him this day. Father in heaven, how we thank you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us to the extent that you would give your only Son there on the cross at Calvary. We thank you, Lord, for the victory that He won after the sacrifice that He made. We thank you, Lord, for the evidence that we have that He is in control, that He has the keys of death and hell. And even here today, regardless of who we are or what we've done, that He's willing and able to save every person that will put their trust in Him. May it be so in somebody's life here this morning. May they come to the end of themselves and trust You as their Lord and their Savior. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. And now while we lift our voice in song together, would you come? Come on, trust Him just now. Just you can come to Him just as you are. Just as I am. You know, I happened to notice a prayer request on uh, on Facebook. One of our members made, one of our young lady made a prayer request about concern for people that and I can't, you know, I can't give any details here because I don't know those people might be here even today. I have no idea. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But what a blessing it was to me to see somebody heartbroken out of concern for somebody they know, hoping that they can get them to church and to see them trust Christ as their Savior. You know, a lot of times we'll hear of, you know, somebody that we care about being sick, somebody maybe they've got cancer or heart disease or whatever, and boy, you know, we, we want to get their name on the prayer list. And we should. We should. They need our prayers. How many times do we realize there are folks out there that are just one heartbeat, just one breath away from a devil's hell? And we just kind of shrug our shoulders and go on. And we come to a moment like this. The building is packed full of people. 
And folks, I'm telling you, I'm not judging anybody, but I have got to believe with all of my heart that God laid this message on my heart for some reason and that there's somebody here today that needs it. There are folks here today that have never trusted Christ as a Savior. Folks here today, they do not know for sure they'd go to heaven if they died. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to lay my head down on my pillow at night and go to sleep not knowing that I was a child of God. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And whenever my old heart stops beating and I take my last breath, to be present, to be absent from the body is going to be present with the Lord. And you can have that same assurance. The same John we've been talking about said... These things have I written unto you that believe on the Son of God that ye may know you have eternal life. You see, you can know. You should know. And you will know if you put your trust in Him. Would you do that while we continue to sing? Come on. <laughs>